Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel, and I'm joined by Eminence, Bill Werner, Brent Palm, and Jake Griffith. We're going to delve into what's happening in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, work continues on the federal farm bill. The DNR's Eagle Cam is active. The annual Toward Zero Death Conference wrapped up, but first. This week, the Minnesota Chamber of Commerce released its annual business benchmark report, and it shows Minnesota's economy legs behind the national economy. Eminence Jake Griffith spoke with Beth Kadoon, Vice President of Tax and Fiscal Policy. The, the DEED released the, the job numbers. Is there any tie to with this to those job numbers? Yeah, so those are the same things that we're tracking as well in this report, right? So we look at how we're doing as an economy, too. How are we doing as a state? Are we exceeding um, national? Are we lagging in national indicators? Because we only know Minnesota's economy is going to ebb and flow, as does the national economy. So we want to see, are we doing better or worse, right? For job numbers, um, so even though we're, we're growing, which is great, um, along with the national economy, unfortunately, we're just not as growing as fast as some other states. So we've been lagging on those key economic indicators, job growth being one. Um, as you mentioned, that was just released today, um, where Minnesota's grown over the last 12 months with job growth of 1.4%. Nationally, it's been growing 1.9%. GDP numbers is another one, key one we look at, where uh, Minnesota grew at, was 35th in the nation at a 1.2% rate versus the national at 1.9. And so we have concern over that subpar performance. I thought one of the most interesting bullet points in the, the report on your all's website was uh, uh, Minnesota among the most innovative states in the nation, but 45th in tech job growth. Uh, so full disclosure, I moved here a couple months ago, about five and a half from West Virginia. I'm not from there, but I was working there for about six years. And they always talk about trying to drive more, you know, tech growth there in the state of West Virginia. So I guess looking at it from the Minnesota perspective, what are some ways maybe that Minnesota can encourage growth in the tech sector here? Yeah, no, that was one of those um, key concerns that we flagged, right? So innovation has been one of Minnesota's biggest strengths, right? It's one of our secrets um, of, of our success is we're highly innovative, for a lot of tech um, industries started here as well, right? Supercomputers back in the day. So that's been a really growth area for Minnesota. Um, so as you mentioned, that concern where it's like we're still really strong in innovation, but according to CIA, Minnesota ranks 45th in the nation in growth in our technology industry. So when you look at that factor, it's like, okay, how can you encourage more growth in that space? How can you get um, more of that talent into Minnesota to help grow there? How can you make sure that... Um, you know, the workforce is being trained in those tech jobs as well. Um, and then also, like I said, part of it is how do you encourage those employers um, in the tech industry to be growing in the state? So part of that is just making sure we have a good, solid business climate, reduce those costs, help with permitting reform would be one way as well, and then help increase the skills of our workforce. 42nd in net domestic migration. It says in here more people leaving the state than moving here. In your opinion, what are ways that we can reverse that trend here in Minnesota? Yeah, so that's, like I said, that's been another one of those. We've been gaining, um, losing people from state-to-state -state migration where, where we still gain in population is through international immigration. So we certainly want to concern, can, um, you know, still have that growth in international, but how do we keep more people in our state and recruit more folks like you to come in? So one of it is um, you still want to make sure you're an affordable place to live, right? You want to make sure you have housing that people can find. Um, so that would be one. And a lot of it also is jobs. Um, the other thing, you want to make sure you have jobs um, for folks here and, 
you know, a growing sector for the business community and just make sure we have that good quality of life that we can encourage more people to come. So there's usually a lot of reasons that go into people moving, um, but a lot of it's driven by that affordability factor as well as quality of life and the jobs that are available. Third and eighth grade reading and math test scores have fallen in recent years. Is that something that teacher shortages and, and maybe COVID have an impact on why those test scores have fallen? Yeah, so that's something that we're definitely going to be watching. So that ranking is, or that score that's done by uh, the federal group that does that testing, that's done every two years. So the last one was in 2022. Um, so we'll not we'll get new data now in 2024. But yeah, there was definitely a downturn in many states, especially those states that were shut down more than others during COVID with test scores. So it'll be very interesting to watch now, two years later, when that you know when we have the new test scores to see have some of those states like Minnesota rebounded a bit on those test scores, or is that really been you know will continue to impact that group of students as they go through their school years on lower test scores? So definitely something um, to be concerned about watching. Um, we know we had a big boost to spending for education. Um, but I don't know how much we'll get into that um, the classroom as well to help with those learning um, learning issues. What are you hoping is the biggest takeaway from this report? You know, the takeaway take is we can't really just rest on the past success of Minnesota. We have to look at what's happened to Minnesota's economy now, you know, that we're unfortunately lagging. We have been a few years in economic growth, job creation. We're losing more people to other states. So we need to make policy changes to make sure that we have put in place really the strong foundation that's needed to make sure we have a stronger growing economy. And we know a stronger growing economy needs a stronger growing private business sector. So we're hoping from looking at, at this report, you can identify those areas where we're not very competitive and that are creating barriers to that economic growth. And a lot of that, frankly, is on the cost side of the equation. We need to address our high tax rates. We need to be more competitive there. Um, to make sure that we are not putting those barriers to investment in our state, talent recruitment, you know, and retention and entrepreneurship. And studies show that those high um, costs of doing business do have a, a detrimental impact on those factors that are needed to grow our economy. Eminence Jake Griffith and Beth Kadoon with the Minnesota Chamber of Commerce. Time for a quick break. More Minnesota Matters after this. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly, it's back to the car. Which, if you're buzzed, could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters, I'm Tasha Radal. Over 850 professionals in law enforcement, traffic engineering, and emergency medical services gathered this week in Rochester for the annual conference entitled Toward Zero Deaths, the ultimate goal for traffic safety on Minnesota roads. Eminence Bill Werner talked with Mike Hansen, director of the State Office of Traffic Safety. Mike, before we do anything else, please explain to folks what is Toward Zero Deaths. 
the Towards Zero Vets program is a statewide effort that brings together, uh, you know, three primary agencies and a bunch of our stakeholders. So it's a partnership between the Department of Public Safety, the Department of Transportation, and the Department of Health. And the, the Towards Zero Vets program was actually born 20 years ago. And so we are marking our 20th conference in the 20th uh, year that TZD has been uh, in place. And the, the biggest thing to take away from that is what TZD is and uh, has become is a national model for how to do traffic safety initiatives right. Because we tear down the silos, we work together in a holistic way to solve tough traffic safety issues. And whether that's an engineering solution, an enforcement solution, an education solution, or providing better EMS services, and, and amongst, amongst other things. And so this is an important milestone for us. But while we can look back at the past and recognize our successes, the fact that we're still you know, nearing 400 fatalities this year in Minnesota tells us we still have a tremendous amount of work ahead of us. And there was a fair amount of, in that 20 years, a fair amount of progress uh, in terms of lowering that number. And then there have been some setbacks recently, right? Yes. Uh, you uh, are exactly correct. Yeah. The first, you know, from 2003 until about 2013, uh, we had essentially cut the fatality rate in half. We went from almost 700 fatalities to uh, 358, I believe, was the lowest uh, that we had in 2017. Then, you know, we, we, we kind of plateaued in there. Uh, and then the pandemic came along and high-risk driving behaviors came back and our fatality rate really spiked substantially. What I can tell you, though, is there is a positive trend and we're in the second year of it. In 2022, the fatality rate declined slightly and we're seeing declines continue in 2023. And as I'm talking to you, I haven't looked at, at the final numbers, but I believe as of today, we have 60 fewer fatalities year to date than we had at this time last year. So we are regaining some of that lost ground in a real meaningful way. Mike, you talk about how you, how you've, you basically the state has cut the death toll in half, right? And then we kind of bounce back a little bit about we're headed back down again. But I, I'm sure you know better probably than anyone that that last piece going down from whatever it is down to zero or almost zero is a tough one. You have a lot of professionals there in, in enforcement, uh, in engineering, uh, and, in, and in healthcare uh, response, emergency response there. Give us some bullet points, the kind of strategies that they're talking about that might enable us to push back down toward that zero mark, closer to that zero mark. Right. Well, what I, what I can tell you, Bill, is we have over 850 uh, traffic safety practitioners in attendance here, and we have over 40 workshops that are taking place over this day and a half. And it's everything from drug-impaired driving to addressing the speed issue to teen driver education and teen driver safety uh, to occupant restraint and child restraint uh, workshops. Uh, we are really covering the entire gamut of, of how all of our ease, you know, the, the four core E's, which are enforcement, education, um, engineering, and EMS services, but how they can be supported by all of the other E's that falls under that big 50, which is everyone, and how we all have to own traffic safety and traffic safety practices in the state of Minnesota. You're talking about a tremendous variety of topics, and let me let me put you on the spot on this one, Mike, okay? Um, okay. I mean, you tell me if it's an unfair question, okay? But if there were one thing that you could do, or maybe two things that you could do, to run that number back down toward the zero mark, toward zero deaths on Minnesota roads, what would those be? Oh, that is a really good question, Bill, and it's a really big question. Yeah, um, yeah. And it, you know, maybe not a fair one, Mike. <laughs> Well, no, it, it is a fair question, but what I can tell you is there is not 
and, and this is sound, not the best terminology, but there is not one single silver bullet mm-hmm. that is going to get us there. Um, I can tell you, though, that the, the speed is still number one on our list because speed is the one thing that makes everything else worse. Speed is the one thing that brings energy into crashes that results in injury and death. Uh, along with that, we still have an impaired problem, and we have distracted driving problems, and we have we have a really good compliance rate for seatbelt usage in the state. It's over 94%, but yet that remaining 6-plus percent of people who don't take that two seconds to put that belt on, they are represented in 30% of the fatalities that occur. And so, you know, if there's one thing we could do to get everybody to buckle up, we could save 100 lives a year. I want to ask you about a, a new frontier in enforcement, and uh, you probably know what I'm talking about. That's cannabis, okay? Yep. Um, is there a discussion about that at this Toward Zero Death conference? Absolutely. That, that has been one of the topics of discussion, and we had a couple of presentations on cannabis and uh, drug use in general, and it is something that, you know, we're being very proactive and um, very forward-thinking when we're trying to look at what cannabis will mean on Minnesota roads when, you know, we know it's legal now, but, you know, the dispensaries aren't open or anything like that. And so we're just we're really trying to work on the education and the outreach for the consumers so they know what they can and what they can't do but also to work with our law enforcement partners to make sure they have the tools and the training and the equipment that helps them to evaluate a driver at roadside and determine whether they're impaired or not, whether that's by cannabis, by alcohol, or any other substance. Drug-impaired driving, as as you've heard me say before, is not something new, but we're just making sure that we have as much resource out there as we can to address what what is going to happen when uh, legalization takes place. Mike, I know you got to get going. Uh, and the final question I have for you is, out of this conference with, you say, um, over 850 pr- professionals, right? And a lot yep. of seminars, a lot of workshops down there in Rochester. What's the message that you want to send to Minnesotans? By working together, every Minnesotan can contribute to making our roads safer for everybody. This is an all-hands-on-deck effort. Every citizen has a responsibility to be a good defensive driver to follow the rules of the road because we all depend on that and if everybody remembers that everybody that you're sharing a road with is somebody's mom it's somebody's dad their brother their sister their kids their co-workers and and all of that if we all make the commitment to do the best that we can do all of us can drive that number to zero i do believe we can get there i do believe we will get there but it's going to take a combination of technology a combination of human effort and uh, everything else that we've talked about today to get us to that point. But I know we can get there. That is Mike Hansen, Director of the State Office of Traffic Safety. Tasha? More Minnesota Matters after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radel. The Minnesota DNR turned on the Eagle Cam this week for the 2024 season. The large nest it focused on for 10 years is gone, but the camera still captures eagles in the area and other wildlife. Eminence Brent Palm gets the latest on the Eagle Cam from a DNR official. Wildlife researcher Lori Nauman, it's another year, it's another season, and we're going to do the Eagle Cam again. Yes, we are. As long as the camera is still up, we are going to turn it on and have it doing a tour of the area. So that just means that it's going to be focused on different scenes um, and it'll kind of rotate around on its own. But we will be watching it and operating it ourselves from time to time as well. So that means hopefully 
if we do catch one of the birds in the area, we can zoom in and focus on it and kind of peek and see what they're doing. Hey, as I just mentioned to you, I I did read one of the DNR's posts, and it said in the last few weeks, you folks have seen the pair at the Old Nest location. So that's got to be a little encouraging. It is. It means that they're still on territory and they are still considering that their territory. So that means, well, are they still going to use it? Are they building a nest in the area? Are they are they going to build a new nest in the same spot? Hopefully not the same tree because the tree is not in any better condition than it was last year. So we hope that they do certainly build a new nest, but it just all means that regardless of what they do, we won't have a camera on their nest this season. And that's just because if they were to build a nest in a nearby tree and we couldn't see it with the camera that's already up, we can't disturb them. Once they start nesting and they're considered active and they're actively nesting and using that nest, then we can't disturb them legally, nor would we want to because they're doing their thing and it might scare them away. So we have seen them in the area and we have surveyed the area ourselves a bit and walked around quite a bit. And we have found a new nest that we think that they may have built, the two, the pair, but we don't have a camera on it. So we can't survey it constantly to see if they're actually you know, going to use that nest or if they're actually visiting that all the time. Our theory is that when they lost their chick this spring, that they started building a new nest because that's what they do. Eagles spend their time raising chicks and building a nest. And nest building is also a courtship behavior. So they do that to strengthen their bond between the pair. And it looks like an established nest that they have built um, since April, but we don't know if they're going to use it. So we can't really spend the money to install a camera and electricity and all those things, but it's only about a half a mile from where the old nest was. Wow, interesting. And, you know, if you watched it at all, well, the last few years, that old nest was massive. It was massive. When the nest was first found in 2003, it was not nearly as big. Over the years, it has just gotten bigger and bigger. There's been two females and seven different males. And so you've got all these seven males proving their worthiness to the female by building and adding new sticks and rearranging everything and bringing in grasses. And then, of course, when they have had chicks, then they're spending a lot of time in the nest eating. And then there's prey remains there. And all of that builds up over the years, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. So it was probably close to 2,000 pounds when it fell. Let me ask you a what-if scenario. What if They nest in this tree this year, the new one that you mentioned, or the nearby one a half mile away, and it looks like there's activity. Is there a chance that if the chicks are born in the spring and then something happens that maybe next summer we could install some cameras in the area? So if this pair does happen to use this nest, the new one, as their chosen spot, there's a lot of moving parts. So there's no electricity to this area. And we'd have to make sure that that's even a possibility because when we visited the area, it was underwater. So I'm not even sure that it would be possible to run electricity, number one. Number two, you know, the contractors have to be available. Everything has to fall into place. We have to make sure that the bucket truck can get in there and that it's on even level ground. So there's 
all kinds of different things. And that's the one thing that, you know, a lot of people are like, we have an eagle nest here and we have an eagle nest there. And so we know there's lots of eagle nests around the state. We know that our population is the highest in the lower 48 states in Minnesota. So we know that we have a healthy eagle population and there are lots and lots of nests around and that people think they'd be perfect for putting a camera in, but it's far more complicated than people think. But if all the stars aligned and the pair does use this new nest that they have built and we're able to run electricity in there and get a bucket truck in there and all those things, then yes, maybe. However, we've been looking at other spots just because it makes more sense to look at a nest that has an established history that has been raising chicks successfully for the last at least several years, not just one season. Because eagles can also have alternate nests. There are eagles who have built two nests and they'll use one one year and use the other one the other year. Um, And that's precisely because of what just happened with our nest. It fell. They're busy building nests all the time. So it's hard to predict what nature is going to do. But that's why we want to make sure that we're Installing a camera and using the resources and spending the funding in a logical and in a way that makes sense and that isn't wasting any resources or or dollars. We're working on that. There's a couple of different locations. And and since we've only had a few months to work all of this out, it's just not going to happen for this season, unfortunately, which is why we decided to turn the old camera on and just allow people to look around the area and hopefully see them from time to time. Plus, we know that the area is very populated with eagles anyway, and people have watched over the years. There's lots of intruders that have come in and tried to take over the nest, and who knows, maybe another pair will come in and build a nest in a tree nearby, you know, within camera distance. It may happen, but we'll definitely see wildlife. Eminence Brent Palm visiting with the DNR's Lori Nauman. You can check out the DNR's Eagle Cam at mndnr.gov slash eaglecam. More Minnesota Matters after this. You, my friend, have connections in the government. Yes, you. USA.gov, the official source for government information on thousands of topics. And like any good connection, there's no telling where it can take you. Why, one day you're getting student loan information. Next thing you know, you need job hunting tips. Today's rogue construction info could have you searching for telecommuting ideas tomorrow. The more you use USA.gov, the more uses you'll find for it. Passport applications, for example. They've been known to lead to a sudden interest in travel advisories. Our new mobile apps will even update you on the go. So whether you have information to get or ideas to give your government, check out USA.gov. Who knows? Lottery results today could lead to retirement planning tomorrow. USA.gov. With the right connections, there's no telling where you can go. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Tasha Radal. Minnesota 1st District Congressman Brad Finstead is a member of the House Ag Committee. Finstead, a southern Minnesota farmer himself, told MNN correspondent Mark Dorenkamp that the extension of the current farm bill is a mixed bag for him. On one side of the coin, uh, it is a good signal to the countryside that there is going to be that security and that steadiness of of the farm programs. The 2018 Farm Bill was a great farm bill. For it to be extended, I think, provides that security and certainty to farm country. Uh, But on the other side is, uh, you know, I feel like we we kind of uh, punted a little bit, kicked the can down the road. We have opportunities to work on some things that that our farmers, our producers, our ranchers are telling us that they would like to see tweaked to to the farm bill, things like reference prices. 
updating and expanding uh, and enhancing crop insurance, looking at some of the uh, foreign animal disease and trade programs. Uh, but with that being said, you know, this extension will maybe uh, clear the runway for us to just really roll up our sleeves here uh, and, and early in the year get something done. Speaking of a runway, what is the path forward here with the extension regarding a, a continuing resolution, some differences in the House and the Senate, and, and how do you see this all unfolding? Well, I think we're, we're going to see here continuing resolution that will include the Farm Bill extension that has bipartisan support, bicameral support. I, I think the, the leaders of both parties and both chambers are, are coming to the conclusion that that's going to be the route to go. Uh, the continuing resolution that's on the, on the floor now that's being talked about will be uh, extending current government levels to uh, January, February. Uh, and then part of that uh, would be that Farm Bill extension for the entire year. So that uh, will create an opportunity, again, for, you know, maybe a, a little bit longer understanding of where we are. It avoids the government shutdown and hopefully creates that runway or that path for us to get serious about things, uh, including the Farm Bill. I assume the intent, even with an extension of one year, is to try to get a new five-year Farm Bill done as quickly as possible does this uh, uh, announcement of, of the intention of an extension, does that make that more or less likely in your opinion? Well, if people choose, uh, if, if members of Congress choose to uh, be committed to working on good policy versus uh, politics, I think the good policy folks will, will look at this as an opportunity to really do some great things for a new five, five-year farm bill. Uh, if people choose politics, you know, who knows what happens. But, you know, people like me, uh, you know, farmers that uh, have the opportunity and the honor to represent their friends, families, and neighbors in Congress, uh, you know, we're committed. I'm committed to just rolling up my sleeves and getting things done as soon as possible on the farm bill. And, and uh, that's what we owe it to the American public. So, we on the Ag Committee uh, have done quite a bit of work, uh, listening sessions all over the country. We feel like we're in a good spot to, you know, really uh, start honing in and, and pulling the trigger here on getting the farm bill done. We're waiting on some CBO, uh, Congressional Budget Office, scoring in regards to some of the new ideas or some of the tweaks to the programs. That takes a little time. But once we have that done, we feel like we are in a position to move very quickly on uh, on passing something through the committee process and then uh, you know, using using uh, that time then to to also get something through the house. What kind of light can you shed on some of the m bigger sticking points as farm bill negotiations continue? Uh, maybe it's it's funding, uh, the the nutrition component. Um, where are the largest divides, and and how does Congress work through that? Yeah, I think one of the biggest challenges are the divides that exist maybe just the whole lack of understanding and, edu and needed education that has to happen with the Farm Bill. Uh, because it is a five-year program, you look at the makeup of Congress, and you have a lot of members that have never voted on a Farm Bill. Uh, and on top of that, you have uh, members that maybe aren't as in tune to farm policy as we would like. There's still members running around this place that think that there's direct subsidy payments to farmers. Uh, they're talking about the SNAP program. They're still calling it food stamps. Um, you know, some outdated language and some program changes that have happened over the last 20 years that hasn't been completely educated to members of Congress. So the education component is one of the biggest hurdles that we have. And then on top of that, you know, you'll have the debate of the nutrition title being part of the farm bill. You have traditional farm country legislators that, uh, you know, just want to get farm policy done, you know, things around crop insurance, the ARC and PLC programs, risk management tools, CRP, and don't really have an interest in talking about the nutrition title. But then on top of that, you have members from districts that really are, are brought to the farm bill discussion based on the SNAP program and the nutrition title. So it's really a balancing act of keeping those things together. Uh, uh, and then on top of that, reforms. You know, everyone's looking at the 2018 farm bill as a good one. 
And as we uh, as we look at rewriting that, how do we implement some reforms and 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 do some things to kind of keep with the times, uh, modernize the farm bill, and that's where some of the again education and discussion will happen. That's MNN First District Congressman Brad Finstead with MNN correspondent Mark Dorenkamp. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Minnesota Matters. Be sure to join us again next week on this MNN affiliate station, same time, same place. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Tasha Radal.